The Rise and Fall of Project Corbin by Various Authors, 2020 On the level plain, simple mounds look like hills, and the imbecile flatness of the present bourgeoisie is to be measured by the altitude of its great intellects. Karl Marx, in reference to John Stuart Mill, Capital, 1867 If Karl Marx himself were leader of the Labour Party, it would still be an imperialist party. Harpal Brar, speech delivered to the Indian Workers' Association, Great Britain, August 2015. Forward. Jeremy Corbyn's ascent from marginalised backbench MP, champion of lost causes, and epitome of the loony left, to post of leader of Her Majesty's opposition, blindsided the British establishment, much of the nation, and undoubtedly the Labour Party itself. Faced with a narrow range of homogenous, production-line, Blairite neoliberals, Corbyn's inclusion in the 2015 list of Labour's leadership candidates was innocently intended to liven the grey and insipid debate, help the other candidates score some easy debating points, and inject a little entertainment value into what looked like becoming an uninspiring political sideshow. Far from becoming the laughingstock, however, Jeremy Corbyn's insistence on championing the needs of workers and the marginalised proved to be a breath of fresh air in the stilted confines of acceptable bourgeois parliamentary debate and generated a wave of youthful idealism and even socialist enthusiasm, leading to a mass influx of workers into the Labour Party, whose membership had been flagging in the disillusioned wake of the Blair-Brown-Miliband years. That wave of Corbyn mania, as it was dubbed by the press, swept him to a thumping victory in the Labour leadership election. The mass of workers who flocked to Corbyn's banner took his evaluation of the Labour Party at face value. They believed, as he told them, that Labour was socialist, that it would champion the interests of the working class against the wealthy, that it could and would take on the British political establishment that austerity was an ideological choice of the Conservatives that simply didn't have to be taken, and that a better life could be won by simple electoral means using the Labour Party in the British Parliament, the British democratic system, as a vehicle. In flocking to Jeremy's standard, they not only propelled him to victory in his leadership bid, but also radically changed the composition of the Labour Party's membership. Initially struck dumb at the prospect that Corbyn would lead them into the next election, and even that he might rise to become Prime Minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, the Labour Party grandees, hand in hand with the wider political British establishment, soon formulated a plan to contain and limit the influence of Corbyn and his supporters, and to neutralise his obvious and growing mass appeal. It was to be an assault on every front. They would prevail on him to jettison his apparent principles, the source of conflict with the city financiers, and publicly capitulate to the needs of capitalism. It was made clear that if he was to enter Her Majesty's Privy Council and be party to state secrets, he must observe the code of conduct required of its members. Moreover, he must maintain a united front with the other leaders of our multi-party democracy and espouse the expected and accepted policies. To this end, the press and British political elite 
brought to bear concerted pressure on one issue after another. Wood Corbyn, as leader of Her Majesty's opposition, denounced the dictator, elected president, Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela. Would he support an escalation of the proxy imperialist war, including cruise missile strikes on Syria? Would he endorse the renewal of Trident nuclear weapons, despite having been the leader of the campaign for nuclear disarmament? Would he denounce socialist China, labelling it as the hostile agent responsible for British industrial decay and blaming its steel dumping for the final closure and giveaway of British steel? Would he support the use of extrajudicial drone execution despite having been leader of the Stop the War Coalition until his election as party leader? Would he support US and British imperialist proxy Israel, given his well-known and often repeated support for the Palestinian people? Would he lead Labour in opposing Brexit, first in the referendum and then in getting that referendum result overturned? Corbyn would be lambasted for standing with terrorists, from the Irish Republican Army to Hamas and Hezbollah, of standing with despots, from President Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela to President Bashar al-Assad of Syria, of being a pacifist who would disarm the country and concede to terrorists, and as such being unfit to command Her Majesty's armed forces. On not one but several occasions, Senior serving generals, field marshals, admirals and commodores were wheeled onto mainstream media platforms to state that if Corbyn became Prime Minister, there would be open rebellion in the army. There would be, in fact, a very British coup. And of course, Corbyn would be accused of being an anti-Semite, of giving sucker to anti-Semitism, and of leading an increasingly anti-Semitic party. This most toxic campaign laughable were it not so persistent, pernicious and all-pervasive, secured broad Zionist British establishment cooperation, and we give special attention to this question, as well as to Labour's handling of Brexit in this pamphlet. Yet the masses were palpably with Corbyn. The establishment was rattled, unable as it was to capitulate to even the relatively minor demands of the anti-austerity working class in the context of a decade of global capitalist recession and crisis. When Corbyn appeared at packed rallies up and down the country, when, in the 2017 election campaign, entire football stadiums and crowds at Glastonbury Festival greeted him with the chant, Oh Jeremy Corbyn, sung to the tune of the White Stripes anthem Seven Nation Army, the press attempted to belittle the significance of the event. But ask yourself, how many British politicians have achieved such mass popularity? Roman senators knew well enough that Caesar's rule rested on the consent of the plebeian masses, and you may rest assured that our ruling class is uncomfortably aware of this grim truth also, more so than is the working class itself at present. It now transpires that, despite the open warfare waged against Jeremy Corbyn, by his own Labour parliamentary colleagues, in cahoots with the press, the Tory government and the entire British imperialist state apparatus, were it not for the direct sabotage of Corbyn's 2017 campaign by the Labour Party administrative machine and headquarters staff itself, detailed luridly 
in the leaked Labour anti-Semitism report, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party would have won the 2017 general election. Theresa May's Tory party would have lost. The entire spectacle of her dead parliament, compounding austerity and playing the race card while frustrating Brexit could have looked radically different. If. But for that if to have transpired, the Labour Party would have needed to have been that which it is not. A party that stood apart from and in opposition to British imperialism. But in fact, Labour is a tried and tested part of the British capitalist system. It has earned its stripes repeatedly and would allow no mere accident the election of a leader say, even one as genuine and sincere, as inspirational as Corbyn was perceived to be by his followers, to change its course. Legion are the numbers of current and former Labour MPs who would have rather split and destroyed the Labour Party than have seen it come to power on a policy of real opposition to British capitalism. This, to them, is the meaning of their often repeated mantra of putting the nation ahead of their party political interest. Translated, it means putting the interests of the capitalists ahead of those of the workers, no more and no less. As close students of the history of the British labour movement, by which we mean British working class history, which is a far broader question than the history of any single group or party, the authors of this pamphlet have never held the opinion that the Labour Party is an organisation capable of bringing about socialism in Britain. We acknowledge that this viewpoint, until recently, did not have widespread support. The experience of watching the Labour Party battle against its own most left-leaning and avowedly socialist leader in living memory, however, has brought this truth home to thousands of Labour's formerly loyal supporters with crushing force. Jeremy Corbyn's campaign for leadership and two general elections electrified large numbers of formerly politically apathetic workers. The spectacle of Corbyn's isolation, of the betrayal of his closest political allies, and of his desertion of long-held principles under the hammer blows of his own party and of the British capitalist ruling class has disillusioned many. But that experience has awakened others to the true nature of the British state and of the Labour Party's role in maintaining it. And it is to all those who lived and witnessed the rise and fall of the Corbyn project, first with hope, then with dismay, that we address this pamphlet, which consists of contemporaneous articles dealing with the rise of Jeremy Corbyn to leadership, the many attacks upon him, and his failure to grapple with his own party machinery or with the issue of Brexit, all of which led inexorably to his downfall. The Labour Party did not achieve socialism under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, and to those that hoped that this would come to pass, it is all too clear that Labour cannot achieve socialism under its newly elected leader, Sir Keir Starmer. Labour no longer sets itself that aim, even in words. We do not celebrate Corbyn's fall, or the now obvious failure of his project to reclaim the Labour Party for socialism. But, Without rubbing salt in the wounds of his supporters and followers, we must together learn the hard lessons of the past five years. If that experience is not to be repeated, and the movement that inspired so many foot soldiers is not to be squandered in its entirety.
as Vladimir Lenin pointed out long ago. In capitalist society, we have a democracy that is curtailed, wretched, false. A democracy only for the rich, for the minority. A genuine socialist movement, by contrast, must seek to place economic and political power in the hands of the working people themselves. For only that will for the first time create democracy for the people, for the majority, along with the necessary suppression of the exploiters of the minority. British socialism must contend with the realities of British imperialist society, the realities of the most profoundly iniquitous and unjust economic system of finance capitalism. Only by understanding the true nature of our ruling class and its political system, which is in essence the most firm and tyrannical dictatorship of the wealthy, can we hope to replace it with a better, more just and equitable society, in which the majority will truly rule and use their sway to create a happy, peaceful and cultured life for all. Ranjit Brar, Sheffield in London, June 2020.